Hello and welcome to In Conversation With, the monthly podcast series brought to you by the team that produce Global Cosmetics News. Vegan beauty has a clear definition, no animal ingredients included within the product formula. The category, dismissed by the big players within the industry for many years, but championed throughout the teens by the FOMO Instagram-obsessed millennials, has become the standard requirement across cosmetics and personal care products for a Gen Z purchase. As the category begins to scale, how can, will it maintain its integrity? To help me answer these questions and more, it is my pleasure to introduce this month's panel. Hello to Audrey Wesson, Marketing Associate at Inelex. Hello to Erica Dergahi, Marketing Manager at the Vegan Society. And a warm welcome to Joe Chitley, co-founder, Beauty Kitchen. Welcome, everybody. Hello. Hi. Great to be here. Yeah, Hello. thanks for inviting us. Audrey, let's start with you. With regards to ingredient sourcing and innovation, what are the key social drivers impacting vegan beauty formulation in 2021? Great question. Yeah, I think ingredients are, of course, so important to making a vegan formula. Brands are looking to source vegan ingredients because of their consumers, but also to meet their own sustainability goals, perhaps. And consumers and people are going vegan really at record rates for a few different reasons, a few different social drivers behind this change. One is for animal rights human health and wellness, and then the third for the environment. And people are going vegan as a complete lifestyle choice, which includes diet, the products you buy, maybe even the clothes you wear. But in addition to people going vegan entirely for all of these factors or one of these factors, there are additional beauty users who may be looking to vegan claims to tap into one of those values, environment, animal rights, and wellness, without perhaps restricting their whole diet or changing their whole lifestyle. So vegan beauty, I think, really attracts those people who champion the vegan lifestyle, but also people who may align with the values that vegan beauty represents. And is that what you're finding at the Vegan Society, Erica? Yeah, absolutely. I think what Audrey was saying about those drivers being about compassion for the environment, personal aspects, as well as the animal rights reasons, that shift is wonderful that there are more and more people becoming vegan consistently, especially across the UK. I think that's like the central hub of veganism at the moment in the West. But when it comes to beauty, I think that that's a standard that people are asking for even without being vegan because of that animal cruelty, testing on animals element to it. We noticed actually in terms of business drivers, you know, that kind of sustainability goals was a great point that Audrey made. In the UK alone, it's been estimated that of all the new vegan items actually launched last year in 2020, over 80% of them were within that beauty category. And even though the industry itself is making huge strides towards those ethical commitments. We know that there's a long way to go in terms of product labeling and consumer understanding. I guess one of the recent studies that the Vegan Society did, we only finished it in July this year, we actually found that almost half of cosmetics shoppers said that they felt 
confident actually identifying animal-derived ingredients within their cosmetics and toiletries. But then when we did a little test on them, only 2.6% were actually able to do that identification. Throughout this research, we found that most consumers have no idea that animal products are in their cosmetics. And actually, once they do find out that they're used, they don't want to purchase them because of that exploitation element or because of the environmental aspect or because of their own personal health. So there's a big gap to bridge in consumer understanding and consumer shopping habits even today. However, the great news is that global shift is happening from that social aspect and the way we see our place in the world and making it easier than ever to be kind and make compassionate choices for the planet. You know, a great aspect of that is the Vegan Society's vegan trademark. The team have over 53,000 products registered globally, of which 23,000 of those are cosmetics and toiletry products. It's our biggest category products are registered from over 75 countries in the world, including 60 products from our friends at Beauty Kitchen. Talking about Beauty Kitchen, Joe, you started off as a vegan brand, so sustainability goals aren't your motivation. What is driving your business in 2021? So I think when it comes to third-party verification marks, we feel really strongly about that. And the reason for that is that, one, it puts your business and your business model under the spotlight. And any business that is prepared to be put under the spotlight by an independent verifier, they know that there's going to be questions asked about their business, about their supply chain, about their social drivers, their sustainability drivers. And we at Beauty Kitchen want to always evolve and progress. And that's why, you know, for us having the verification trademark from the Vegan Society not only helps us as a business, but it also helps the consumer to make the choices that they want to choose. I think if we come back to social drivers, the rise of veganism as a choice, whether that's in every aspect of your life or whether that is only in your beauty regime, I think what's great about it is that it's challenging the norm. It looks at inclusion and diversity, not just from a human element, but from a wildlife element as well, and also creating the space for flora and fauna, which are highly renewable areas of diversity that feed into any cosmetic brand. In talking progress, Audrey, what are the key digital drivers assisting ingredient sourcing and innovation for vegan formulation in 2021? Yes. And so even before we talk about digital, ingredient sourcing of any sort of claim or value, especially these sustainability claims that maybe seem a little bit nebulous, really all start with supplier transparency and due diligence. Suppliers being upfront about what that claim means, 
what they do to verify it and how it can help a brand meet their values or goals. So I think vegan is such an important example of that dynamic. And looking into digital sources or drivers, the resource such as Novi Connect is really crucial to help formulators and product developers find these ingredients that meet their values. So Novi Connect is an online ingredient marketplace, and it essentially gathers and digests information from ingredient suppliers and puts it on their platform to indicate which claims or standards the ingredient meets. So not only can you search a bunch of ingredients by vegan, you can try to filter them out by whether they're vegan or not, but you can also go and look at your existing ingredients that you may be using and verify that they meet this standard. So that's one great resource that I really think is going to just make it all the more possible and easier to formulate vegan with a verified source. When issuing a trademark, Erica, does the Vegan Society use these digital platforms? Um, The Vegan Society have like a number of partners that we work with to help us manage that ingredient aspect of verification. So we don't tell brands to work with a specific place. And of course, we have our own database for us to manage and monitor when it comes to understanding products being sourced from animal derived or plant based derivatives or processes. However, we do have partners who are laboratory tests, for example. We have a test called VeganShore that's registered with us by a brand called MSL. And actually, we can and have encouraged some of our brands to go and work on switching from an animal-based test to an alternative test that's not going to be causing any animal cruelty. And there's been a couple of great partnerships that have happened as a result of working with MSL's Vegan Sure test, one of which is the supplier to Primark's cosmetics. Primark have now got a vegan cosmetics line, making it very accessible and very affordable, but they've also gone through that testing switchover process. So completely changed their supplier chain as a result. And actually this year, the second big brand to come and work with them as a result of the partnership that we have has been the body shop who are working on getting every product registered with us within the next couple of years and as a result everything will also be switching over to those tests that are plant derived and instead of animal derived and for you joe do you use digital platforms when sourcing for ingredients Yes and no. So um, I think it's still in its infancy and I like to be more in control of my own supply chain and understand the different companies that I work with. I think as well, coming back to certification, one of the evolutions that will happen and is happening today is the connection between other certifying bodies And I do think that certification as a whole, whether that is the vegan trademark, whether that is cradle to cradle or B Corp or cruelty free for that matter, they are all trying to change the way that we do business and how we deal with consumers. So when it comes to supply chain, your supply chain, yes, it is ingredients based, 
but it also has to have the social fairness aspect to it as well, which is a big driver for us here at Beauty Kitchen. And both those elements are quite in their infancy in how companies go about doing that from a supply chain perspective. And on the subject of evolution, Audrey, what are the critical environmental drivers impacting ingredient sourcing and innovation in vegan formulation? This is so important to all formulations, but especially environmental factors are driving vegan beauty. And one of the reasons is because raising animals, especially cattle, comes at such a large expense to the environment. So in our industry and across many, reducing our reliance on animal agriculture is a very important step in the fight against climate change. But when considering the environment, I would even suggest going a step beyond vegan and that we really need to be embracing plant-based sourcing. So a vegan product could be petroleum derived. In the food and beverage industry, we saw the rise of vegan and then this plant-based term kept showing up on restaurant taglines and to indicate not only that the product is vegan, but also that it has this wholesome aspect. And I think this is a reflection of that convergence between wellness and vegan. Both trends kind of are at play here. So similarly in beauty, I think plant-based ingredient sourcing and therefore making plant-based claims can indicate that the product's not from animals and it's not from petroleum. So yeah, I mean, I really think all industries, including beauty, should be reducing their reliance on both of these aspects. And by doing that, you can also achieve that vegan claim or certification by going plant-based. So yeah, I think that's the best way in beauty we can really continue the fight against climate change and make sure that our ingredients are non-harmful to the environment in that way. And is the environmental issues crucial to issuing a vegan society trademark, Erica? Uh, great question. So we have a set of, you know, really clear standards when it comes to how to get registered with a vegan trademark and what that verification means. And for us, the leading parts to that, depending on what industry you're in, is going to be no animal ingredients and no animal exploitation across processes, development, manufacturer as well as testing and for us I guess that sort of goes hand in hand so even though we don't have a sustainability tick box because we haven't set the standard for that when it comes to veganism we know that in general brands are upping their ethical credentials because so many of the businesses that we work with as Audrey was saying mixes in that veganism within their sustainability policies because they can see that there's an environmental impact in what they're doing. And we have so many brands working with us who are either zero waste, plastic free, fully recyclable or compostable packaging. That includes brands like Beauty Kitchen, as well as Lush, The Body Shop, or even smaller brands like Evolve Beauty, Friendly Soap or Faith in Nature. Though the Vegan Society is focused on ending animal exploitation, those environmental concerns really align with many vegan values. And this is why we're seeing vegan brands leading the way in their environmental commitments. You can't really say that a brand is being environmental if they aren't vegan, which is controversial, I know, but being environmental is about respecting the planet and all of its inhabitants. 
it is within the UK's remit to try and drive forward a powerful environmental agenda as we're hosting the climate change conference this year, aren't we? We've seen so many tragic events directly linking back to global warming and these things are all very visible in the consumer's eye and, and actually beauty is so important to the consumer, but it's not just linked to anything that's going on from a vegan perspective. As Beauty Kitchen scales, Joe. What are your main environmental concerns? That's a great question. And, and just to add to what Erica and Audrey have been saying as well, the environmental drivers of vegan beauty is about driving positive change. And if we use the term plant-based, for example, then we know that generally speaking, those ingredients are highly renewable. And what I mean by that is that they can be renewed very quickly, unlike something like fossil fuels, which takes thousands and millions of years to renew itself. Um, I think the other aspect of renewable and regenerative ingredients and materials, if we take something like Abyssinian oil, for instance, it can be grown almost anywhere, not in Scotland, unfortunately, um, but it can be grown mostly anywhere and it can also be grown around other crops to create biodiversity. So the actual plant not only only is it highly renewable and a great resource as a beauty ingredient, it also creates a biodiversity within the farming world as well. And I think that's where you can already see that sustainability, veganism and climate change it's complicated. You know, it's lots of different ways to be able to achieve that. And I think we're all going through that evolution at the moment. Coming back to COP26, we are so fortunate that it's going to be here in the UK. It's going to be my home city of Glasgow, and it will give us a real focal point for the world in terms of what do we need to do to make the difference with climate change, because we all know that government policies, they have set the targets, but it's businesses, organisations and associations and consumers that will actually reach those zero targets. And that's what's really exciting is the focal point for this year. When it comes to Beauty Kitchen, we've been future-proofing our business for, for quite some time. We've been carbon neutral for many years. And the way that we've done that is by designing our products through cradle-to-cradle -cradle principles. And cradle-to-cradle, -cradle, if people don't know what that is, the principles of designing any products means that it will fit into the circular economy. And the circular economy is the future of our economy. So rather than being a linear economy where we take something, we make it, and then we waste it and dump it, we actually take highly renewable resources, we make products and other things from them, but those products either renew themselves very quickly, as in plant-based ingredients, for example, or they continue to be reused again and again and again in a circular fashion. And that's why, you know, Beauty Kitchen is at the forefront of safe and circular design. And thinking about positive change, Audrey, how are government policies aiding and abetting the ingredient sourcing and innovation for vegan beauty formulation? In the traditional way we think of 
governments. I think the animal testing bans that we've seen around the globe is really huge contributing to vegan beauty because it really brings this renewed awareness to consumers that animals are involved in the making of their cosmetics. And then that doesn't feel good to a lot of our consumers for many reasons, especially in the animal rights area. And so, you know, I think just bringing this to the forefront, it really is increasing the average consumer's awareness of how animals participate in our cosmetics. But I also like to think of governance in terms of retailers since so often they decide what comes in their doors or what products get special shelf space or what have you. And Ulta's Conscious Beauty program really makes it easy to find vegan brands and provide some education about why that's important, as well as um, Credo's Clean Standard. It's not entirely vegan, but it bans a majority of animal-derived ingredients and make some exceptions as well. But uh, yeah, there are a lot of vegan products and completely vegan brands in retailers like this and in different retailer programs, which I think is a way that not only perpetuates, again, the vegan claim and wanting consumers to that type of product, but it also helps to provide that education about how much animals are involved. So I really think both in the traditional government sense and retail retailers and other industry stakeholders, we're seeing this shift towards more weight placed on vegan products and more attention to those brands. And Erica, in light of the EU and REACH and the testing on animals going through the European parliaments at the moment, how is the vegan society dealing with this? (laughs) Great question. Um, It's something that we're always going to be working on, I think, when it comes to not even just the UK and Europe, because we're a vegan trademark is global. So we'll be continuing to lobby governments, get support from other charities. And for anyone that's um, followed any of the vegan news in the last year, much like Amendment 171, that was sort of a last ditch hurrah from the dairy industry to remove naming of dairy products, which did manage to go through probably because of lobbying and money, but failed ultimately because of the amount of backlash from consumers and the amount of backlash from just so many businesses now just saying it doesn't work. And I feel like that is going to be a huge aspect of what happens over the next six months from what the vegan society will be working on when it comes to managing that legislation and just trying to gain that traction on it. One of the things that we see that's so fascinating is that it is a little bit cyclical. So we know in China, for example, if you sell in China and you're importing to China, when everyone else was banned, the legislation was that you still had to have that end product tested on animals before it could be sold um, in China mainland. And for a lot of brands, that was a deal breaker. And even though that market is still enormous, brands are moving towards that more sustainable policy and 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 having two supply chains and having two different types of tests is costly and just not worth it as a business. So we're seeing brands actually pull out from selling in China as a result. And then what we saw last year and the beginning of this year was, well, okay, more brands are pulling out. So China's changing their legislation. So even though governments are going through this sort of 
backstepping themselves here and there with the EU 171 last year and now the UK talking about reintroducing animal testing. The, the more that the public know and the more businesses that are unbelievably against it. Um, there's no reason to exploit animals and reduce animal lives for the sake of cosmetics really at all. And so there are too many brands showing that. So I'm sure not just from our uproar that will inevitably be coming in the next six months from the vegan society and other vegan charities, um, as well as vegetarian charities, there will just be public and that social drive will become an aspect as well because no more do we see governmental policies being hidden in the background and not things that are talked about in the public space because those social drives of influencers and social media where things, you know, a lot of news is found quicker on Twitter and TikTok now than it is to reach Sky and BBC News. So we're relying on the consumer to also be part of that demand. And does Beauty Kitchen have a battle plan for the UK's consideration of using animal testing? So we have um, already supported uh, Cruelty Free International in terms of uh, what they are doing from a government lobbying perspective and any of our other certifications, we would do that. Animal testing and animal cruelty as a whole will be something that we will continue to fight for. I think what's interesting to build on what Erica and Audrey have said is that because of social media, we can hold governments and governing bodies, whether that's retailers or associations, we can hold them accountable. Whether we hold them accountable as a business or as an individual, as in a consumer, I think it's great that we now have those communication tools that are easily to hand to ensure that your voice is heard. I'm sure all of us on this podcast today has signed up to some petition at some point online that has then had to be read out in Parliament within the UK because it had the right number of signatures. And I think that campaigning at a, a local level as well as a government level, I think that those bridges will continue to build and hopefully, you know, that, that governments will listen that a lot of the times policies and legislation are out of date from where, you know, we need to be not just as a society, but what people really want to fight for. And I think this ongoing debate about animal testing and animal cruelty just makes me really sad that we're still having these conversations because of out-of-date legislation, whether that's here in the UK or whether that's in China. So I, as you can probably tell, I'm quite a noisy person and I like to ensure that we give our support in whatever way we can to try and drive that positive change. But I think holding governments accountable and also challenging them. I know that the Vegan Society have done that very recently, for instance, on government policy to be able to cut greenhouse gas emissions, for instance, in their race to zero. I think if we can target these very highly emotive policies that are coming in, at the same time as challenging the out-of-date ones, then hopefully we can move forward. And talking of out-of-date legislation, Audrey, what should, could the vegan beauty category look like in 12 months' time? 
I'm so glad you asked because I really think it's just going to continue on an upward trajectory and um, get easier and easier to formulate vegan beauty. And a lot of that is due to the availability of vegan ingredients on the market. So at Intellects, we offer a range of primarily functional ingredients. So really the 98% of your formula that's giving it structure, preserving it, um, sort of the basics behind what the formula looks like and can do. And um, our whole portfolio is vegan suitable. So the way I see it, there's not really an excuse in terms of functionals for not formulating vegan from structuring agents, you know, replacing beeswax with plant-based structures, replacing lanolin with a moisturizing film former or different sensory emollients. There's really a lot of options out there. I think actives and fragrance get a bit trickier. That's not my personal area of expertise, but I do know that we've been seeing a lot of plant-based alternatives to favorites coming onto the market, vegan collagen, vegan retinol. So um, yeah, I think with a combination of progress and really sort of a history in functional ingredients moving towards plant-based, as well as these new innovations in actives, it's really just going to enable more vegan formulas that are equally performing as their non-vegan counterparts or even having superior performance because of all the great benefits we can get in terms of sustainability and performance from plants as feedstocks. Yeah, so I think it's a really exciting time for vegan beauty and formulating that way by working with vegan suppliers is really um, a key piece of that development. And at the Vegan Society, Erica, how do you see the next 12 months for the category? Oh, it's just going to continue to grow. I think vegan beauty overtook food and drink as an industry in terms of registrations for us here at the Vegan Society, maybe back in 2010 um, in terms of prominence. But when it comes to big beauty retailers, they're now all talking about vegan products and vegan friendly products as standard. And it's not just coming out as part of Veganuary or World Vegan Month or as a special promotion fad, because these brands are no longer seeing veganism and vegan beauty as a fad, you know? So as long as we continue through 2020, we we made a bit of a false prediction early on in the year that actually we would see a reduction in registrations from all categories because we didn't necessarily think that people were putting it at number one, but actually within that sustainability piece, they were, and it's continues to be one of our biggest registration categories and 2020 was our biggest year for registrations with 15,000 products alone just in 2020 registered with us. And what's so sort of magical to see and hopefully we'll continue to see in 2021 and beyond into that 2022 space is that growth of not just the mainstream but the rise and the accessibility to people who are making local products using locally sourced plant-based items and as Audrey was saying a lot of these products now the collagens and the retinols are performing just as well and or outperforming and when you realize that there's no difference to you as a consumer to choose the free from version well it's a no-brainer isn't it so 2022 I guess is going to be that the industry is going to be fully vegan we'll see that's one more step in the next 12 months and at beauty kitchen Joel 
you've recently launched into edibles. Is that where the growth categories will be in the next 12 months for beauty? I think it comes down to your sense, own sense of well-being and the journey that you're on. I think more consumers are aware of, you know, their inside and outside. So what they, you know, eat impacts how the quality of the skin that they have externally. And I also think the backdrop of covid and climate change, that many people are on a sustainability journey and vegan products in all categories will play a part in the choices that consumers will make. And I think that's what's really exciting because the choices are becoming more accessible and the innovation is driving new products to market in all different categories. That then helps to make things more convenient which increases the level of engagement you have with your consumers. I think it's also a great way for people to connect with a community of like-minded people. So it's, again, something that that you can talk about. What is your vegan alternative if you've decided that your cappuccino, for instance, your morning cappuccino is now going to be dairy-free and having those options and accessible options um, and finding out from other people is always a great way to drive the innovation and also drive the awareness and ultimately it drives the growth within the category so I think it's you know whether it's uh, vitamins and supplements whether it's beauty or whether it's your you know morning cappuccino I think the the vegan driver of that will ultimately continue to grow over the coming years. And with that, I would like to thank all my guests, Audrey, Erica and Joe, for joining me today and to you for listening.